Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Giant Pod with me, Andy Rintmore. My guest this week is Jane Lewis. She is a behavioural coach, uh, also the host of the podcast Leadership Behaviours Unpacked with Jane Lewis. It was great to have her on the podcast. Um, Jane has been on our radar for a very long time. Harry, the show's producer, produces her podcast as well. So it's always been on the cards and I had the pleasure of meeting Jane um, at a function recently and we hit it off. We hit it off big time. We had a great conversation. And uh, and it was at that moment I knew that we had to get Jane onto the podcast. It's a really great chat. We talk about military leadership, corporate leadership, the, the strange hierarchy of the Royal Mail in the 90s. We talk about um, habits. We talk about the relationships between children and parents. Um, it's a very, very good chat about very many things all to do with behaviors mental health good habits bad habits um it's a bit philosophical at times at times it's very practical it's a great chat i'm going to stop waffling on about it really really enjoyed it could have we could have talked to jane for five hours i think and not been bored you're going to love this uh i love this here we go it's jane lewis on the giant pod thanks enjoy Sick. I don't have to do that, do I? You can if you want. Yeah. I clap when I've made a mistake, don't I, Harry? Mm. Do you? <laughs> yeah. Well, if I make a mistake, I clap and then he knows where to look for it. Oh, because of the waveform? <laughs> yeah. So I guess, I guess we should probably bring the, the watcher, viewer, listener in. Um, Harry, who produces this podcast, is also your podcast producer. He is. And uh, that's how we met. Tell us a little bit about your podcast. So my podcast is called... Are we starting properly? Yeah, we're on, Jane. We're on, oh my God. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, So my podcast is called Leadership Behaviours Unpacked and it's been going for nearly a year. And that's how we met, actually, because someone told me about Giant Pod and I had a listen to that and then rang you up and you put me in touch with Harry and that's how it kind of became real. Um, And it's about... It's about kind of uncovering leadership behaviour, sort of what makes good behaviour. So I think as we talk about this, I'm a bit obsessed with behaviour. So good. that's what it does. I, do, I like this psychological aspect of, of like what you do. So you're a le- what's your, what would you say your job role is? Oh, I, a you leadership? Um, so I'm a coach. Right. Um, and when people go, what kind of a coach? And it's really hard to kind of pigeon, and I hate being pigeonholed. So I think if I had to, I do lots of coaching of leaders. Yeah. And it's all about behaviour change. So I'm a leadership coach, a behaviour change coach. But for me, a leader's anyone. You can be a leader in your own life. You don't have to be a chief exec of something or chair of something. You can, I think, you know, that. so, Yeah. It can be. So I yeah, think I think a lot of people out there have an, an idea of what leadership is or what it looks like. Mm. But I think leadership is is much deeper and more nuanced than mm. I think the general, you know, accepted idea of leadership. What what are the what are the things that you notice that are in every leader that you work with? What the, what the, what do they have to have to be to be uh, considered a leader? Do you know? I think. 
One of the things that I always say to everybody who ever comes to talk to me or if I ever talk about leadership is for me, it's about being the best version of yourself, the best leader that you can be. So that, I mean, the word authentic's banded around loads, isn't it? Yeah, but it's I like think a new buzzword. It is like it? a new buzzword, but I think that's just about being the best version of yourself. And I think to do that, you've got to be quite self-aware. So probably the one thing I think good leaders have is they are aware of what they're good at and what they're not good at. Right. And they're honest about it. And that, I think, allows them then to get good people around them, to behave in a way that gets the best out of people. So I think self-awareness and being willing to face up to what who you actually are and what you're good at and what you're not. And that requires you to be quite brave, I think. Oh, that's interesting that you've brought up self-awareness and knowing... Mm knowing your strengths and weaknesses, because I saw something on Instagram the other day, and, I, and it was a story of someone. I think it was a prime minister of old. Right. Like a lot old. And, and they, they wrote a letter to the king, and they said something along, I can't remember now exactly what they said, but it was something along the lines of, this country, what this country needs now is a leader that does this, 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 and this, yeah. blah, blah, blah. I am not those things. And I thought that cool. was that was very fascinating yeah. to, to read. Yeah. Who's someone who sat down and wrote to the king, and said, "I'm not the man I'm not for the this. person you need." Yeah, but I know yeah. what we need, and I don't know at that point whether the king goes, "But that is what we need." Yeah. Like that's showing a, a leadership yeah. quality, isn't it? Yeah. Is that well? Why don't you just harness that? Yeah, and get advice. You know, do create a team around you and use that self aware. Yeah. I don't know, but it was a long time ago when they did that. But that, I think that's exactly it. And I think one of the things that's often criticised is if leaders also change their mind about stuff. So they're kind of going, okay, this is where we're going, this is what we're going to do. Mm. But actually they're willing then to go, do you know what, that wasn't right and actually we're going to switch that. And quite often I think people think that that's a sign of weakness and I think it's a sign of real, it's real strength to be yeah. able to go, do you know what, I know more now than I knew yesterday, so I need to change what we're going to do. Yeah, you hear them say... Um... I'm not. I'm not saying I'm a huge Boris fan, but <laughs> yeah, you hear the press saying Boris does another 180. Absolutely. And uh, I don't know what's. I don't know what's. You know. And if he does do that, he, he he'll get a bashing. Yeah. If he if he stays headstrong and yeah. defiant, he also he, he, you damned if you do down. Absolutely. You don't. And I think probably like you, I wouldn't claim to be a Boris fan, but actually when he was making those. U-turns, whatever people called it, yeah. I was kind of getting really mad, thinking that's a good thing. Yeah. And if you look at the latest debacle, where over that party, that wasn't a party, or maybe was a party, if, he'd, if party. he'd have come out and gone, do you know what, we absolutely stuffed up mm. and apologise, and, and actually go, okay, and that's going to be different going forward, people would have much more respect than holding that line of, I'm right. Yeah. But then uh, the other thing with politics, and I guess we, we, we could lose ourselves here We could, a let's bit. not. <laughs> but he's also got to think about the world stage as well. Yeah, yeah. And his, and his, not just how he looks to these people, he's playing a, a, a whole global stage, isn't he? Where yeah. if he does too many, I guess there's a, like an unwritten quota. If you do too yeah. many of these things, then perhaps, you know, the different cultures, maybe the Russians start to believe that you're weak. Maybe the yeah. Chinese start to believe that they don't want to do any, you know, economic deals with you or whatever because you keep yeah. your track record. And I think that's very, um, that's very interesting that they have to do a whole, whole host. They have to almost have to. It's theatre, isn't it? It's it is, and I think even in business, 
when you've got someone who's quite senior in a, in a business or even maybe, you know, not necessarily that senior, if they've got a team, I guess it's that balance, isn't it, between setting a direction, being able to keep people on route to where you ultimately need to go to, but being willing to, like, adjust that course, I guess. Yeah. Rather than it just being seen as actually they've got no idea what they're doing, so they're just changing their mind every five minutes. Yeah, it's just a strange one, isn't it? I don't think yeah. anyone can really win. I think military leadership is an interesting mm. an interesting one. I think that is at its most fundamental because you're, you know, if you're a platoon commander or a squad leader, it's it's leadership at its or a business leader yeah. when you have a you know, a small staff, mm. it's at its most core, I think, of leadership because you're just guiding how it used to be back in yeah. thousands of years ago there's leadership and hierarchies have always existed yeah and that i think is in its most sort of um natural way is that you're not we i don't yeah. think we've evolved to lead a whole yeah nation yeah we, you know we have natural leaders that emerge to to head up a hunting pack or yeah look after the this or that or you know everyone has a department i guess yeah and um i think that the military leadership stuff is very interesting it's probably not too dissimilar to business stuff because there's a lot of like navy seals like jocko willink who will come yeah. out and say oh this is the extreme ownership book yeah and um now he's basically a sort of almost a leadership well he's a leadership consultant business yeah. consultant guy so yeah. they cross over a lot don't they and they still have i think when you listen to those guys talk talk they are really back to that very beginning point they really get themselves and I think they're one of the things that I think stands out sometimes in those very senior military leaders or like whether it's SAS SEALs whoever that might be is that they are you know they're willing to kind of be a bit vulnerable within that. Right. I think sometimes within leadership roles, in corporate roles, people are not willing to show any kind of weakness whatsoever to any of their colleagues. And therefore, how do you support them and it's strange, and kind of help it? them? So it, it's, it, it's, it is absolutely an extreme man. But I, my last, what I call my last proper job, I worked for the Royal Mail for quite a long time. I, I didn't really, I worked for them for about five years. But it seemed like quite a long time. But actually, the Royal Mail had picked up loads and loads of traits because it had sort of grown up really out of post-war era. All of the titles, all of the kind of roles, the hierarchy was huge. Right. And so people had, you know, they were called chief this and, you know, they were kind of like everything had a chief operating or a chief people. Or, and you think, where's this kind of word come from? Yeah. And they were... But the processes and the whole way people led kind of would have fitted really well if you'd had that. And I guess in military roles, there's a clear mission, isn't there? And yeah. you have that clear mission, you execute that, and you then sort of decompress from it, and then you go to your next mission. Whereas businesses, when you've got different competition, different kind of financial influences and all the rest of it, it isn't the same. And people's expectation is not just to do as they're told. Right. So I think that's when it starts to unpick itself a bit and actually you can't lift it just into a business world. Interesting, interesting. I want to know how you how you found your way into this. Is, was this a spark? <laughs> Were you working in, with the Royal Mail and saying, hey, look at this hierarchy, this is strange, maybe we Do should you, streamline this. And, well, I or, went... Or did you look at that and go, you know what, I think there's a market here for like being able to go away and do this. So I came to the Royal Mail... So I'd, I'd worked in 
I started life as a geologist, so nothing to do with people. Right. So, yeah, and I... And, it, and it's funny, recently on the news and stuff, because I wanted to be a geologist, I wanted to work in environmental science. So I was massively into, you know, saving the planet. And, and so way back before it was... Cool. Yeah, and I don't want to say that because it's kind of like, yeah, but but yes, it was a hard battle kind yeah. of in those days. And um, So you, you were at the tip of the spear. Yeah, say. and I yeah. wanted, so I'd... And I had a place to do a PhD, but it was based in China. Right. And Tiananmen Square blew up, which will get people to know how old I am. And so I couldn't do it. So I went to work for the body shop, was my first proper job. And I thought it was all about, it was a bit of a shock business, really, because right. I thought, because they they were massively at the forefront, you know, Anita Roddick and Hertz, massively at the forefront of no animal testing, envir- you know, the first refilling products and all of that. Oh, okay. But when I started, it was a bit of a shock because then it was like, well, you need to cross-sell and do this. I'm like, do what? What, what year is this? Is this early 2000s? <laughs> this late is 90s? late 80s. Late, oh, okay. So I, well, actually early 90s. I graduated 89. Right. So, um, yeah, so that's sort of late 80s, early 90s kind of time. And so, and, and actually, I was kind of quite. I got into. I worked at the body shop for a few years. I then worked in finance. And I, one of the things that always annoyed me was the way that senior people behaved. Right. And I sort of got into it. I, I got into working in management development and sort of leadership development relatively early. Yeah. But I was really interested because one of the things that drove me insane was that people were promoted and rewarded for what they delivered despite how they did it. Uh, and it really wound me up. Right. And I was like, okay. And I remember kind of thinking, actually, the day that this bank sacks somebody for poor behaviour despite the fact they've hit their numbers is the day that you've got progress. Was right. kind of what I fundamentally believed. It yeah. drove me nuts that people who were bullying people, cutting corners, were really hard on their people. Were actually getting rewarded and promoted. Right. So people in senior positions, a lot of them, their behaviour was horrendous. Right. Um, and I, and I think I was quite vocal about that quite early on. Particularly, and I kind of worked around the, the sort of reward structure within businesses, and I was just like, this is so wrong. Why are we giving bonuses to people despite appalling behaviour? Um, and so I worked there, and then I got a job in people strategy kind of area because I had a baby and no one wanted to give me a part-time job in a proper part of the business. So right. they were like, sticker in strategy. Okay. And it was kind of, it was... Is that, that doesn't sound very... But this, you're it's going back modern. as well. It's not, you see, and it wouldn't happen. Well, I hope it wouldn't happen now. I think it probably does still happen. Mm. Mm. So my young, you know, my daughter's 23. And so you're going back a while where actually I wanted to work part-time and actually the the belief was you couldn't do a kind of proper job, a leadership position part-time. So they put me into strategy, which right. was f- brilliant because then I got into the whole kind of organization how organizations are designed how they work where behavior sits in that and I went to the Royal Mail as a what they call an organization development consultant so I went there when they were losing a million pound a day and there was a big structural change so it was in the days of Adam Crozier and Alan Layton so how are they losing a million a day at that point is that because Amazon Prime new competitions Amazon wouldn't I don't think Amazon at that point in the 
How how long? Ninety? I don't know. Uh, really early two thousands. Did Amazon exist then? Oh. You were starting to get more parcel post, but right. you were starting to get competition. So other right. the competition had opened. So Royal Mail had to compete. So right. you had kind of other organisations coming in that would cream off like the the final mile delivery. So they were quite happy to do kind of you know the the lucrative stuff in certain right. cities, but they wouldn't have delivered out to you know deepest Dartmoor right. or north of Scotland because it didn't make any money. So Royal right. Mail was having to compete, and suddenly when it was having to compete, it didn't make any money, and it was really badly run at that point. Okay. Is this before they went, uh, before they, because it was private, no, hang on. It was then as they became part privatised, and now they are still sort of, parts of it are privatised, parts of it are not, so it's a bit of a mess. So was that to save it? Is that what happened? Yes. Okay. Yeah, because when I was there, it was like competing with one hand tied behind its back, really. Okay. But, and it was probably the best and the worst job I ever had, I think. It was really, really hard. Mm. But they were starting to wake up to the fact that it was, and people like I think people like Alan Layton because he'd run NASDA before, right. he? and he was fabulous with people. Right. You know, he was interested in what who people were and what they did, and he would kind of if you were working on something, he'd walk in and sit down and have a chat, and we'd all be like, something. Right. But actually, he was genuinely interested in what's happening. He was listening. Right. So that was like a real for me. Like actually, it's possible to be really good. And to behave in a way that's respectful and gets the best out of people. Yeah, because I think you know, there's a there's a stereotype, isn't there, of CEOs and, and people that are a bit yeah. like that that film American Psycho with, with yeah. Christian Bale in it, where yeah. they're all the same vapid, empty, psychopath, yeah. bottom line guy that only really care about yeah. themselves and their own promotions. And there's loads of them out there because these the way these hierarchies work and these yeah, yeah they just attract them and they thrive yeah. in these. These and I also think it's quite a lonely job. So it almost becomes a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you get there, how do you dare? So over the pandemic, it was really interesting. There were some things that kind of came out in press and certainly some of the stuff that I would read that was about, you know, leaders that were willing to stand up. So really senior, whether that's chief execs or, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter. But they were quite senior and influential in their business. And when asked the question about like, how are you coping with the pandemic... They were willing to put their hand up and go, do you know, I'm not. Right. I'm really struggling because either they've got kids at home they're trying to educate, they have no idea how the business is going to survive. They're personally just kind of drained and wiped out. And I think when few of those, to be that brave to go, actually, I'm not coping very well. Right. It allows everybody else to go, go, thank God, because neither am I. Yeah. And then you can work out how you're going to do it. Whereas if you've got that sort of like, actually, I can't afford to ever let my guard down and Mm. pretend. You have to pretend I'm okay. Yeah, interesting. People do like to see some vulnerability. I think so. I found with the mayor thing, I could say the strongest messages and people love that. But then if I show a little bit of humanity and talk a bit, you've got to let them in a little bit to what's going on. And it's okay to say... You know, to talk about a little bit of stuff. I had a, a, a friend who killed himself and I talked a bit about that yeah. in one of my columns. And I talked about all the emotions I was yeah. feeling. And there was a part of me that was like, do I, need to, do I need to do this? Like, because like, surely part of my job is to just be stable and consistent yeah. and, 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 yeah. 
and be a, a, a good um, rudder. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Um, but then I found, I found people were say, coming to me and saying, oh, I felt the same. I've been through this and that. And it's really interesting. Yeah. You can be, you can afford to be, I mean, I'm only a, a mayor, I'm not the prime minister, but you can afford to be yeah. a bit, a bit vulnerable and a little bit human. Yeah. But it must be difficult because if I if I had a bunch of a board of directors or investors or, or people that I answer to yeah. um who are on the dry, warm shore yeah. while I'm out in the choppy seas trying to, you know, captain this ship, um I guess there's a an inclination to try and maintain that. Yeah. That front, isn't there? Because yeah. they don't want to say, you turn her around, come back into shore, we're yeah. going to put another captain on this ship because uh, yeah. we think you're going to sink this soon. Yeah. Um, very interesting. And, and, I, and I guess there's a real balance there, isn't there, between being, being able to admit to yourself what's going on mm. and letting people in enough, but that not meaning you're out of control. Because I think there was some, there's been some kind of work done around resilience which is quite interesting because I think a lot of people kind of and, and you'll get a lot of this in the military as well when you like this kind of whole talk about resilience and most people who are who think they're kind of being resilient are generally bouncing between just about coping and kind of breaking down so you cope 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 and then it's like oh crikey and then you scrabble back up and you cope and cope whereas actually understanding what's causing that and being able to, they almost kind of have a model that's designed like almost like a, that kind of like Nike tick almost and saying, right. well, if you can understand why you're bouncing back all the time and change that, that'll give you the skills to be really resilient so you don't feel that pressure anymore. And when I, because I look back over my kind of, get really personal here, so I've had my share of mental health challenges over the years with quite severe anxiety and then if that anxiety's gone on for too long then actually for me that's where the kind of depression will kick in and for years and years I didn't tell a soul because I was really ashamed of it right and I have even when I started being a coach there was a voice in the back of my head that would be like for Christ's sake, don't tell anyone that you've had anxiety or depression because... Because you think that they expect you to have your shit absolutely, 100% Absolutely, because if I don't have my shit together... You've got no credibility. What right have I got Rub, to help yeah. other people? Which is rubbish, thankfully. Yeah, but it's but that was really loud for me about, you know, do I write a... Do I ever talk about it? Do I kind of write about it? And it's taken... I mean, I'm 54 and I think it's only probably in the last year or two that I've kind of fessed up there you go there's a great use of language isn't it but actually talked about my own experience and always with that kind of like dread like just like you said with when you share that that experience of a friend of who's committed suicide because you think that's the ultimate point isn't it of hell where actually you don't manage to get back out from mm. and actually and people go why didn't they talk to you before and you think well shame is probably a big big part of that mm. um so i have started to talk about it and i think there will always be people who are a bit like mm. but you know i think yeah i think i thought people would think i was flaky right you know that was i remember kind of having not been well for a while and a guy that i'd worked for at the time when i had to have a bit of time off work when i became a consultant he took me on for a project and i actually said to him why did you take me on i i, don't, I and he was like 
because you were good at what you, you're good at what you do. And I was like, I thought you might think I was a bit flaky. And he was just like, what are you talking about? You know, yeah. and I, but I, but it was a real definite, even, yeah, I, I, I kind of, it took me a long time to realise that actually facing up to it, talking about it is actually a strength, not a weakness. And it gets you through it quicker because you can hold your hands up when things get tough. Yeah, for, for a while, I couldn't understand the... Um, the whole vulnerability thing, yeah. male vulnerability thing, it just didn't compute for a bit. And I had mm. people like explaining it to me and I'd be like, yeah, but that is weakness, isn't it? And they were like, no. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, but it is, isn't it? And they were like, no. And I was like, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. And then they were like, it takes strength and courage to be vulnerable. Yeah. And then I was like, oh. So yeah. actually... There's, there's no weakness in that. It's actually really yeah. honourable and maybe, yeah. maybe even noble to... to and it also to means, I think, that you feel things in a deeper way. So mm. I think people who go through life and actually don't kind of feel anything for whatever reason, you know, how do you then be empathetic to other people? How do you kind of relate to other people? But I think it's... Lots of the stuff that I, I do, I often talk to people about, you know, your thought processes, the emotions that drive those, and then ultimately that choice of how you behave and having more control over how you behave. And there's a great phrase, and I have no idea who the quote comes from, I can't remember, but it's something like, um, you know, I can't believe what you say when I see what you do. Right. And I think for me, I was just like, that is so true. How often do you hear people like a message? And I see it, whether that's, you know, back to the kind of political world or you see it in businesses where you get somebody senior within that business. They talk a good story yeah. and they're stood up spouting all this about this is what we stand for and this is our vision and this is how we behave and these are our values and everyone's going, yeah, right. Yeah. Because actually what they then do is nothing relating to that. So they can stand there talking about kindness and helping colleagues and all this, but actually they don't do any of those things. Right. So I think that what you ch how you choose to behave, because that's the only thing we can ever kind of choose really, isn't it? The emotion will come and we'll feel excited, sad, desperate, angry. Yeah. But we still hold on to that element of how do you then choose, what do you choose to do with that? And how do you choose to behave? Fascinating. It's got a bit deep, hasn't it? I love it. It's just, I love it. <laughs> um, I was listening to your... So your podcast with, and I've forgotten his name, is the estate agent guy from Froome. Will. Will. Will Parfit. Will Parfit, that's right. And I really enjoyed that, that part when he talked about, he goes, right, what can I control, what can't I control? Yeah. He writes, and he writes it down. I don't know if he really does write it down. I'm sure he probably does. Writes down what he can control about this issue. Yeah. Or this problem he's facing or situation and what he can't control and i think what he said is he realizes that he control he can control 20 percent of it usually yeah. and the other 80 percent he can't control yeah. so you might as well just throw that to the wind yes and you know what will be will be yeah and i thought that was really interesting again there's yeah. some self-awareness in there that. is and i think will does do that right. and it, and it is so important, I think, that whole bit about, you know, there's there's loads of work around that kind of whole circles of influence or control and actually think where you get people worrying hugely about things they can actually do nothing about and then not actually thinking, okay, what bits of that can I influence and what can I actually control? Mm. And, and for lots of people that I work with, it's about getting them 
to kind of expand out, really. So that bit where they're, they're in control is that comfort zone, yeah, really. which we need to get out of. Which we need to get out of. And it's about kind of expanding it yeah. rather than pushing people to kind of... L- to do something that then breaks them because you think like for me that comfort zone is like a it's like a stretchy bit of silicon or something I right. don't know, elastic band or something but actually yeah. we can gradually make it bigger and bigger <clears throat> and be more and more comfortable with discomfort yes i think that's a kind of that's a yeah being comfortable feeling uncomfortable yeah i think is a makes us it's good. Grow, doesn't it? Yes. There's two life-changing-ish things. Not only two, but two life-changing-ish things that that happened for me was that one was that realization of of vulnerability and leaning into that. Yeah. Um, that was like that suddenly changed a lot of ways that I've not that I necessarily feel like I need to be vulnerable a lot of the time. I feel very mm. lucky that usually I feel quite st- pretty stable most of the time. Yeah. But but um knowing that that knowing that that is a mechanism that and, and if you just lean into that most human beings especially people you know who are your friends yeah will recognize that and that and it won't be ridiculed or whatever it'll be yeah. taken seriously and often they will share something back with you that was a life-changing thing the other thing is i've mentioned it on this podcast before maybe and it probably won't be the last time i do and i've told loads of people there's an there's an interview with david bowie from back in yeah. whatever and he talks about the creative process but i've it, it works for all of life he's talking about your your comfort zone is is you're in the water and you've got in the comfort zone you're you're um you're the head Your above out. the water and you're like oh, okay this is great you know i feel really good here he says what you need to do is wade in a little deeper and he said just when you're just on your tippy toes and you're just barely keeping your nose above that water he said that is when you're in a position to do something interesting but the other thing i extrapolated from that is that well if that was the comfort zone before somehow you get to a position where that water will go back down again yeah. So you're going to just keep leveling this, what whatever it is out. You're going to keep leveling it out. So if you exit your comfort zone, yeah, it's going to feel weird, mm. but it isn't going to feel weird for that long. And then that becomes yeah. your comfort zone. Yeah. And if you keep doing it, you look back and you go, look how many comfort zones yeah. I have. Or look at this huge comfort zone. It's like zone. you're stepping up in on a rock, isn't it? Right. Like bigger and bigger. I've never heard that from David Bowie. That's brilliant. It's, it's very. It's a very good interview at that, that moment. It was quite one of those moments when you go, I think I'm going to remember that. Now. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's how I try and see it. You know, I, I will talk a lot about exiting a comfort zone and stuff, and I'm not always the first to do it, but I definitely do do it. So, but yeah, yeah it's very, um, it's very interesting how, and and more often than not, we will make a, a discomfort, a, a discomfort zone. We will make an uncomfortable zone, yeah, comfortable much quicker than we think. Definitely, we will adapt to that much yeah. quicker than we think. Yeah, and it won't actually be the toil and and struggle that um that little uh, self saboteur in your yeah. head um whispers in your ear oh no don't do that you know yeah. like, we, we can't do that that imposter syndrome or something yes tell, exactly. tell me about imposter syndrome you must work with this all the time I, you know I, I wrote I, something about it the other day and i think imposter syndrome is is probably one of the most common things that emerges in any coaching session some people come because it is so crippling for them that they either don't take a job that they're perfectly capable of or whatever. Others, it will emerge as something that's going on. 
And I think for me, it's always that thing about, you know, if, if you were in a room and someone said, could the person who actually is contributing the least um, or the person who shouldn't be here stand up, the person with imposter syndrome be like, oh, Christ, that's me. You know, not feeling good enough to be in the job you're in, not feeling good enough for that promotion, whatever it might be. And it, and it, and it's something we tell ourselves. It's keeping it, and it keeps you in that in that comfort zone. So it keeps you in the uh, with your shoulders above the water, probably. Mm. Um, and is it helpful to name it? I read something recently where people were kind of going, "We're making it a bigger thing because we've named it." Oh. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if I believe that or not, because sometimes for people to kind of go, "Okay, this is what it is." You know, identifying it. Right? You identify it, and sometimes. You know, there are different... One of the things that I often get people to do, and it's quite interesting, because I'm, I'm working with an organisation at the moment and um, a lot of the people within it are ex-military. Right. Um, very capable, have had really senior roles, still doing incredibly senior jobs, but it will emerge... Imposter syndrome will still emerge. And if you imagine taking someone from a really senior military role into a corporate role, they'll come with their own imposter syndrome because... Right. You know, in their head, surely the person who's been working in it said, do I understand business? Do I know how it works here? What's different? What's not? And and one of the things that I ask people to do, you won't probably remember this, is, do you, you, you so there used to be a thing in, back in the 70s before we had like computers and stuff. I definitely don't remember you this. You don't remember this? But there used to be like, you'd get this magazine or book and it had yeah. a car and it had like a cardboard person in it. Right. And then you'd, you'd cut them out and then you'd have these clothes these cardboard or paper clothes with little tabs and so you could you could almost like dress this paper doll okay <laughs> so this was a big thing when I was a kid right but what it's a bit like so I say to people I want you to get a picture of yourself or draw a kind of outline of yourself and right. I want you to think about all of the things that describe you so what are the things so when you are at your real best what kind of things can you do and I get them to either put sticky notes on it or write on it or create and annotate yeah well, this is affirmations, isn't it? Yeah, it is right. like that. And I'm not very good at sort of affirmations for myself. I I find it a bit hard to do that every day. And I think if people can, it's brilliant. But one of the things I often do in coaching is I get people to go, okay, I want you to see yourself as other people. Because when you tend to go, okay, I'm good at this, I'm good at that, that's how other people see you. And sometimes getting people to go, oh, actually, go and ask somebody else what they think you're good at. And getting, you know, really building up that picture so that when you start to feel wobbly or that voice gets really loud, you can kind of go back to, do you know, I've got this. I can do this. Um, one of the people who challenges this quite a lot in other people, I think, in, and I know he's a kind of mutual kind of friend of ours, is Jess Helens. Uh, shout out, Jess. Hello, Jess. Hello. <laughs> She'd be like, shout louder. <laughs> <laughs> louder. <laughs> And I remember talking to Jess recently about that kind of moment where you're feeling kind of a bit of an imposter, yeah. feeling a bit challenged. And, I, and, I, and actually one of the things that I can do if I feel like that is actually feel like I have to shout a bit louder. And she was like, well, maybe it's about not. It's about just sitting back and letting things unfold without trying to fight them, but doing it with a kind of quiet power Right. And I remember thinking, she's right, because actually for me, I'd sort of like... A strong, silent time. Yes. Right. Whereas I think, and Jess has probably had her share of this, where we, I think sometimes, particularly I've found, you know, I'm, I'm a lot older than you. I've come up through that corporate world where 
I was probably the first generation of women, really. Mm. Yeah, we've had many chats, me and Jess, about about that stuff. <clears throat> and not necessarily on, on the... We, I think we talked about it on the podcast, but just general yeah. personal life conversations about how she's had to... Or felt that she's had to be stronger than the strongest yeah. man to yeah. to be taken seriously. Yeah. Even I heard something not that long ago is that if, if a, a blonde woman in business dyes her hair brunette, yeah. she's taken more seriously. Absolutely. It's some subcon. It's very very weird. Yeah. It? Very strange. Yeah. And and it is because you don't kind of know how to be. Right. And and I think I remember starting. I didn't ever feel it kind of was. When I was really young, but I think starting, particularly when I worked in financial services, some of the weird, weird shit that not it's not even weird, it's kind of wrong. But I right. look back and it wasn't unusual. I remember working in one particular branch and they had these jobs where you would kind of help the manager, kind of like the manager's assistant, where you'd kind of go in and tell them who was overdrawn and who wasn't. And I went right. into one branch and I was a trainee I didn't know anything but I kind of had worked out how to do this and then one of the other girls in the office said when you go in with the manager we'll come with you and I was like what do you mean you'll come with me yeah and they were like well and I was like no and I was a bit insulted I was like no I know how to do this yeah and they were like no we'll come with you and the reason they had to come with me because the manager was known for kind of making passes that she and at one point she said she'd been chased around the table by this guy while he tried to kind of grab hold to her no one would believe you and it was just like this is only going back. And actually, but for me, I think it was normalised for quite a long time that if you spoke out, yeah. you wouldn't get promoted. It was your word against theirs. Mm. Yeah, and, and actually, sort of as a blonde woman, you could forget it. <laughs> it was like, yeah. yeah. My, my, what a And world. it's not that long ago, is it? What year was, what year was this? Uh, early 90s. Pretty modern. So, yeah, not... Yeah, how long ago is that? Frightening, 30, 30 years 20, ago. It's not that long, really, is it? It's not that long, but we've come a long way. But I still think, you know, Jess is a lot younger than me and still dealing with that Yeah, that stuff. Yeah, um, I've got a lot of respect for how Jess sort of picks apart yeah. her place and in, in what she needs to do yeah. in, in the business world. And it isn't fair that, I think I hope I'm not speaking out of turn that she feels she does have to work and many women have to yeah, work yeah, twice yeah. as hard yeah um, but you saying that is really important because I think when you get guys that stand up for that and speak up for women it has a massive impact you know it has a, not only does it make you feel kind of like justified in how you feel that actually it's not right, but I think it has a massive effect on other men. I think men being able to call out other men is so much more powerful that and has much more impact than than when women do it. I've always been surrounded by women who are far more competent at the job that I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> Every job I've been in, there's always, there's always a woman that can do it better. Yeah, and, like, um, yeah, and it's, yeah, it's never really made sense to me to sort of um, oppress, suppress, whatever. The, yeah. You know, yeah, and I just hope the world is different for, like, my kids than it is, than it was for me. There appears to be a sea change. I think so. Um, there's an empowerment somewhere, isn't there? Um, yeah. Or, or a, a, a trend of empowerment or, or celebrating empowerment yeah. of other people. That's the other thing. Is yeah. When someone empowers themselves and it's not, they're not then 
ganged yeah. up on by the other people who can't empower themselves. It's like, let's let's you know, and then other people have the courage then yeah. to empower themselves and, and feel lifted, and then hopefully, there's, I think that's. I think that's, that's big, actually, and I think it's when you go back to like, what's a good leader? I think brave leaders will will kind of recruit and surround themselves by people who are at least as good as, if not better than they are, and yeah. not feel scared by that, and actually think, actually, you you can do this job, you know, better than I can, and actually they're proud of that, and they'll use that and bring people kind of through. I think that's that's kind of almost sort of the point of this podcast a little bit is because mm. I, in a way it's like, it's like a kickback from it because I try myself in life to always run in circles of people that I think make me want to up my game yeah or at least be see, at least be respected or seen as a peer by them or as an equal and there's a lot of people that run in very shitty circles yeah. and they just <laughs> drag each other down time and yeah. time again and toil yeah. in their misery I'm not into that no um, I try and I, I don't want to sound like one of those Instagram lone wolf, you know, guys, you know, I keep a tight circle, less drama, you know, but I, you know, I keep a fairly tight circle because I yeah. just, I know, I know what's inspiring and, and, and what isn't. And that's yeah. a good thing as well with, with leadership is to just surround yourself with people who make you want to be better, yeah. welcome you on, on yeah. things and, and elevate you. You got to stand on the shoulders of giants, haven't you? You have. You got, that's what you got to do. You can't be, I'm a giant, but you can't. <laughs> You can't be, I don't know if you can be the giant. You got to stand on the shoulders of giants. You can let people stand on your shoulders, I guess, can't you? I've never really thought Every about it. Every festival I've ever been to. You are the man. Yeah, I yeah. To be, yeah. Yeah, lots of jealous looking boyfriends you know, <laughs> as their girlfriends. Like, can I get on your shoulders? <laughs> no, it's an important point, though. I think it really is, Andy. I think, yeah, being willing to, like, and, and actually surrounding yourself with people who make you feel good about yourself and not in a way that actually just kind of validate the bullshit. So you want people to be willing to call you out. When, yeah. And, and actually, yeah, that, that's important too, isn't it? And go... Well, it's like those things and when, you, when you ever see, if you ever seen like Britain's Got Talent, when they go, whoever the friends are that told you you can sing, they're not your get friends. Get some new friends. Get some new friends. <laughs> and you sit there and you go, oh, brutal. Yeah. But then, but then you know, I've had moments in my life where I've had friends that say, and they like bring it, not like a, not a, it's not, um, what's the word when you, when, and not an intervention. Yeah. But sometimes someone brings something up. And you have to be strong enough in your head to go, I don't like this, this is uncomfortable. Yeah. And then there's another part of your brain that goes, listen to it. Yeah. Listen to it. It doesn't you don't have to accept yeah. it, but listen to it and recognize that right or wrong, it's coming from a place of care. Yeah. And that's rare. It is rare. There's a lot of bullshit yeah. people out there. And it's very rare when you get someone yeah. who will say take you aside and say, Hey, you know, and almost risk that that friendship or risk upsetting you for whatever. Absolutely. Um, that's the real ones. That's yeah. the ones you've got to keep hold of. And, They're your sergeants yeah. and your corporals. They and, are, and, and I can, I think I recognise that. I think my husband once described me as being a bit like a Jack Russell Terrier where I will, like, see an injustice and have to out it and I can't let it go until right. I've, like, outed the perpetrator and it's been dealt with. The perp. And it's not, and it's a... It has some good, it has some positive traits to be like that, but it's not always good. Right. And it'll be things like, you know, I think in, inclusion is a, is, some, is a value of mine that actually, you know, and, and a, that's really important, but it's not just 
for me, it'll go right down to who's been invited to this and not invited. And actually, so it can be really day-to-day as right. well as kind of bigger stuff. And actually, I guess, I can't believe I've come on here and I'm going to talk about my husband. Lawyer. I know, don't. I could have been <laughs> in terrible, probably. can't believe I'm about to praise up my husband on this. He probably won't listen. But actually, he will call me out. Right. And he will call and actually say, you know, actually, and it could be, like, I could be furious with kind of various friends or neighbours and he'd be like, Jane come on, you know, is that... And he'll call out and go... Is that the hill you want to die on? Yes. Right. And then there have been times when I've had to kind of say, you know, and then I will now say to people, you know, I am really sorry, I was a total dickhead. Right. And And that's a hard skill to learn. Yeah. That's developing over... Yeah, to be able to go, you know, hands up, my behaviour was horrible. Yeah. And it might have come from what I thought was a right place, but actually, like you say, is that the hill you want to die on? Actually, Yeah. So being having those friends and family that will go, do you know what? You were a complete pellock. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> My intention wasn't to do that, but actually I was. So let's right. put your hands up and go, yeah, well, okay. That, that is a good thing as well. And I think, you know, some, some because there's a difference between being domineering and being that strong and stable, you know, that guiding, that guiding thing. A lot of people will, you know, like him or hate him. Prince Philip, a lot of people yeah. thought, you know, well, he yeah. was the guy that would probably whisper in the Queen's ear and, and, and have some pearls of wisdom for her yeah. or, or was a source of uh, sort of strength and comfort. Very important. Um, Anita Collier, who's been on, on this pod before, who was the, the mayor before me, um, she, she, she shout out um, Stephen Potts, her partner, he's a great man. Um, she will say that he, you know, he'll do anything for her, yeah. anything for her. Um, dote on her, you know, her glass is never empty. Do you know what I mean? Like everything, he will absolutely hand, foot and finger. But one of the things she likes about him is that, but she'll say that, no, he'll call me out. Yeah. Put me in my place sometimes <clears throat> yeah. when I need it. And she says, I, I like that. <clears throat> I like that strength yeah. in, in, a, in a man. And I like someone, and not a lot of people like someone putting them in their spot, but it's. No. A, I think it's a very evolved being who recognises that, that's that's a healthy mechanism to have in your life. Yeah. Someone who just who will be uncomfortable. Yeah. Make things uncomfortable. Back back to my point about friends, but yeah. yeah. So it's it's that's it's a good good thing. Yeah, it is, and yeah, like you say, just kind of call out that, and and I think sometimes having getting people and I, and it sort of reminds me one of the other things that I'll often do with clients is get them to think about, and if it's a kind of business thing, I'll be like, okay, who's in your boardroom? Who's in your personal boardroom? Right, interesting. And if you, if I was to ask you kind of now, and when I went, I going to, but, and say, so, okay, like list these people who sat around the table, and then kind of say, to people, okay, so who's in charge, and who's doing this, and who's, you know, where are you sat within that, and actually then moving them on and going, well, actually, how do you want it to be, and who do you want to leave? And it's a bit like you saying about that circle of friends, going, well, actually, who are these people around that that have got you? If you are like, you know, Andy Rintmore corporation whatever being <laughs> corpse yeah. being then actually who do you want in your who's in your corner and actually what roles do you want them to play and getting people to go actually you don't have to listen to those people or and sometimes those voices on your shoulders can be the voices of people who are in that room that actually you've chosen to listen to you've chosen to put them there whether they're saying that or they're not but right. you kind of and actually getting people to go okay decide who's in that room and what their job is and, and why are you not in charge of your own life yeah because you should be the one in charge of that, not your parent or 
some friend or your boss or whoever. Mm. And that can be quite a powerful way for people to go, oh, actually, I do have some kind of choice over who I listen to, who I don't. Yeah. And actually, sometimes the people you keep in there are like the ones that will go, yeah. Cut the shit. Cut that bullshit. <laughs> and, <laughs> and often there's a voice, almost like a nameless being, which represents the counter-argument, the, the negative yeah. thing. That's almost like that imposter thing a little bit. Yeah. But sometimes I've had it before when you think about when you're going to do something, especially like if you're going to make yourself like vulnerable in some way yeah. or open to criticism, which I do all the time with these chains, is a public-facing thing. I'm yeah. always, I'm a moving, massive moving target. Yeah. For any fucking mistake, you know, someone can ping at me for it. And then you do in your head, you get this this sort of like character in your head which represents everyone that might have the opinion that isn't supportive yes. of what you're doing. Yeah. And and that's a weird thing because yeah. they be, yeah, it's a strange like they're an embodiment, like a humanoid embodiment of all the negative energy yeah. out there that's just waiting for you to fucking do something wrong and they yeah. can just pounce on you. And it's a strange little um there's a radio show now, and, I, and I'm really bad. I t I'm really bad at remembering names and details of stuff, but it's something, and it's on Radio 4, and they have two opposing arguments, and I can't remember the name of it. Right. And so they'll have somebody who has a really strong view about something, and they'll bring in somebody with the absolute opposing view, yeah. and they manage it so that you have to listen. Right. So you have to listen to each other, and they manage that kind of respectful debate. But it, the whole thing is about to prove your theory about whatever in the world, whatever your belief is, you have to be able to challenge it with that absolute polar view and then decide whether you're going to shift slightly. And again, it's back to, we're kind of full circle. I was talking about actually, it's okay to shift and go, do you know what? I now know more than I did yesterday. So actually I don't believe that yeah. anymore rather than, which when you're like a Jack Russell like me is quite hard really. I'm like, Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, it, I need to change my mind. It's good to, you know, if it's like, you know, a, a lot of reasonable people, and this is why I, I don't want to go into conspiracy theorists and things <laughs> too much or, and you know, anti-vax things yeah. and, and what, whatever, but, you know, you want people, you know, it's okay to have an opinion on something, but you want yeah. people to not be so dug into that opinion that if you present them with a good argument, it was cognitive dissonance, isn't it? Yes, that's what we're, that's basically yeah. what I'm getting at is like no this is this this is part of my worldview my belief yeah. system that that helps their rudder on their ship get yeah. to wherever they're going um, and they will not compromise on that no. even when they are given a good argument absolutely and I that and that annoys me because it's an affront to yeah. Um, Logic isn't a. And then they'll it's often like, surround you themselves. A brain? It's, they'll it's surround themselves with other people that only believe exactly oh, what they believe. Yeah, the echo chamber. And then you've got yeah that echo chamber, that group think where suddenly, and that's scary because there've been like experiments done, haven't there, where actually you'll go around a room and it's almost like people pull a straw. I can't remember whether it is it's straw or matchsticks or whatever. Right. And actually, whoever's kind of facilitating the experiment kind of goes, okay, you know, they'll ask a question about which is the shortest of these straws or whatever, and actually they'll plant people in there to suddenly go, uh, say some, the wrong answer. And suddenly you get halfway around the room and people who are perfectly capable of thinking for themselves are suddenly agreeing with the rest of the group Ooh. because 
they're scared to stand out. I couldn't imagine doing that. No, and it's scary because they've done so many of these experiments and and, and there have been loads. And I mean, you, if you Google it sort of on YouTube, it's kind of quite frightening. Where, yeah. You know, so I remember kind of watching one where people were standing out. So in a dentist waiting room, yeah. when the... Um, buzzer went for the next person everybody the people who'd been planted in the room all stood up uh, and then sat back down again and suddenly you get new people coming in who've got nothing to do with it and they sit there and watch like once or twice and then they suddenly start standing up there's no reason to stand up so easy and you we're sat there going i would never stand up right <laughs> but i bet you the data <laughs> suggests that i would it does yeah it does and that's a cognitive dissonance yeah. thing there. You go, brruh, brruh. Then the part of your head yeah. goes, no. I saw a picture the other day of a load of people, it must have been the 30s, um, a load of people, a crowd of people, I think it was blokes, mostly blokes, stood up, giving, I don't want to do it really, giving the Sig Heil, um, the, the Nazi yep. salute. And there's one guy in the middle of them all very conspicuously just like, yeah. you know. And the, the post said, everyone thinks that they will be that man, but when... Yeah, in reality, yeah, most of you would be yeah would be sick highly, whether or not you believed in it or not. Yeah, it's scary. And I think going back to that self awareness bit about the better you can know yourself, and the more you can question the choices you make in behaviour and make choices consciously, the more chance you've got of being the bloke with his arms folded. Right, and it and it's a tough, tough, tough road, isn't it, to be that person but you can only do that if you are aware of what you're doing why you're doing it and make those kind of choices yeah I think and and I've had kind of people really challenge me on this before where I was talking about kind of making choices and how that's really choices around your behavior are kind of the only real thing that we can control and somebody in the audience said I don't agree with you, you know, this happened to me, I didn't have any choice in it. And I didn't actually have to answer because somebody else in the room, thank God, <laughs> said, <laughs> said, actually, you still had a choice about how you reacted. So you can get really angry and rile against the world and all the rest of it, or you can kind of go, okay, what, what options do I have and which one am I going to take? And actually, if we can be in that place, then we've got much better chance of being, I hate using the word kind of happy, glibly but it's you know you're much more likely to be fulfilled and and content and and actually to be happy if you can kind of say okay that's the choices i've made right and you back those choices up yeah and sometimes we make the wrong ones don't we and it's back to that kind of like can you then put your hands up and go do you know what i i cocked up i i shouldn't have done that but i'll see what i can do to sort it out i think that's the most adult that's one of the the most key skills you can develop to be a successful functioning adult and I don't mean yeah. successful in a career or monetary no. sense I just mean in terms of just yeah. being a functioning human being is is that is to learn to apologize and stuff I mean when I was yeah. a kid I don't ever really remember my parents saying I'm sorry we weren't right about that yeah and and that it was very much that line was held between you're the yeah. kid we're the i'm right you're right you know that's yeah. not like matilda but a little <laughs> bit like a little bit like danny devito and matilda. yeah you know you're well no you're the kid so we're right yeah and i had to develop that i'm wrong sorry thing in luckily i picked up on it in my teens and sort of just went yeah. like, okay you've got to make yourself vulnerable here and just say it and and you find that yeah. the more that you just do this stuff without thinking, actually the consequences aren't that bad. You yeah. Know? 
And you're right, I don't remember kind of, I think, my parents being like that either. And it's something I found as a parent, I've had to do quite a lot. Right. And that can be sort of in the moment or even looking back and going, and you might be like, actually, you know, I, I did my best with what I had available to me. Yeah. But it wasn't really good enough. Or it's even now, if I've kind of like, you know, flown off the handle and then having to go back in like an hour later and go, I'm really sorry, that was really out of order. And yeah. maybe you have a reason and maybe you don't. You just were feeling foul. But it is. It allows then a conversation, doesn't it, about yeah. the impact that has when you behave like that. And it also allows your kids to grow up to be functioning adults as well, where they're able to go, you know... Take a bit of ownership. Take a bit of ownership of your behaviour. Yeah. Um, not bashing my parents, of course. They were great. But it's a, it was just an interesting quote yeah. in, the, in the family dynamic, which I look back on few years ago and just thought yeah, it's odd isn't it because yeah. you know you see i'd see other people's friends parents being like oh i'm sorry that was a bit harsh there and i thought what what is this yeah. <laughs> what is this witchcraft this is like, humility yeah. what's going on here yeah um yeah wait wait it goes two ways here this is very strange because um, you want your kids to grow up to be adults don't you and i think one of the, the other things that i think your first question about what makes a great leader. It's about being able to operate as an adult right. and interact with other people as an adult. Yeah. And that whole, you know, there's a whole load of stuff, isn't there? It's called transactional analysis kind of theory that is about Ooh, adult, parent, before. child. Right. So there's a whole load of combinations of it. But it's basically, if we can operate adult to adult, so you're in that very conscious kind of humility and actually you you meet each other on a level and quite often where it becomes dysfunctional and you'll quite often and I've experienced this quite a lot with people I've worked for where you'll suddenly get the the boss suddenly becomes like the critical parent right and then the other person either then becomes the kind of child in terms of they become a bit submissive or they become like that sort of petulant child where they'll then start to argue back and actually just become really difficult. And if I think about my own interactions and relationships, you think, how many times do you fall into that petulant child mode Mm. because things haven't gone your own way or you're working with somebody kind of... And I think being able to get yourself up onto that adult-adult level and set some boundaries at that level because it shifts the whole system... Uh-huh. So I think where I've been in, certainly when I think about my own personal kind of situation, where I've been in that sort of like petulant child mode, you know, about to chuck my toys out and not wanting to participate anymore because I'm being treated like a child. Mm. If I've then made that conscious decision to go, do you know what, I'm going to make my decision and I'm going to meet them at that adult level, they can do whatever they want with that. But actually, hopefully, most people then will meet you kind of on that level. But I think being conscious of that, a transaction analysis is quite interesting, actually, right. that whole par- adult parent-child. And it's interesting, I guess, what we want our kids to grow up, isn't it, is to be able to more and more grow into that adult level with them. And God, it's hard, isn't it, having grown up. I mean, I've got grown-up kids, so actually the fluctuation daily between Child, treating them adult, like an adult right. and then going... And their own sense While you live being... in this house? Right. <laughs> I saw a tweet earlier that had been made into a meme, I guess, or was shared about from um, from a woman that said, my relationship with my father got so much better after I came to the realisation that he's just some guy. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Do you know what? Well, I mean, and like... that, that is, because I guess we often stay, don't we, in that child role. Right. Even when we're, like, grown up. 
and not of an age where that's okay. Yeah. And I have to remind myself to actually, if I get, and I think it's some of it back to kind of, I've had these conversations with Jess as well, where you'll get, and it doesn't have, it isn't always men, but somebody, particularly if you've got somebody in that sort of, in a slightly narcissistic role, they can very quickly become your critical parent because it's all about them, everything's kind of, and it's really hard to meet them at that kind of adult level. But you've so consciously got to go, okay, I'm going to be really careful how I choose to interact with that person. Right. If you have to. But I think that's a brilliant kind of quote about when my dad was just some random guy. Yeah, just as I think, you know, a lot of people kind of get to an age and they just kind of see their parents as not these pedestaled hierarchical figures. Yeah. But, um, oh, well, they're just, they're just people like us, just, just yeah. bumbling through life, making up as they go along. Yeah, There's no, like, doing the best they wisdom. could do with what yeah. they had. They're just, they're just doing what they, what yeah. they think is, is, most people are doing what they think is right. Obviously not yeah. everyone's blessed for that. But I would, yeah. I would talk to you until the sun comes up tomorrow. Oh, thank you. Likewise. Um, very. We've covered certainly a huge amount of ground, haven't we? I, I loved it. There's one <laughs> thing I wanted to touch on, though, and it's a Jocko Willink story okay. about when he was a Navy SEAL and he was, I think he was in Iraq and he was the the leader of this squad and something he learned that there was the guys that had made these patches, Velcro patches that they would put on their arms. The squad made them. They were not uniform. They were not, you know... Um, What's the word? They were not... Uh, regulation. Regulation, not signed off on, shouldn't be there. He told them, take them off. Don't want to see them. They're not part of your uniform. It's not professional. He knew when he was gone and they were going out on missions without him, they, they were back putting on. them back on. He knows this is happening. He decides to let them do it because he realises that having that little bit of mercy yeah. gives them morale, a sense of team something to band together, something something that gives them some form of identity as a unit. Yeah. He realises the, the the use of that yeah. over coming down hard on them and and holding his line. Yeah. And I think that's a that was a, a very um a very evolved move, a very inspired yeah. move. And it takes guts from him to be to not be a hundred percent in charge of them. Yeah. Just a guiding hand at times. Yeah. Not a fist. Yeah. 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 Beautiful. Jane, thanks very much. Thank you. I don't know why we haven't done this sooner. It's no, been amazing. I don't. Thank you. And I hope we can do it again. We will. You can come on to mine and talk about. Please. Please. I haven't done a podcast in a long time. Someone else is. Have you not? I've right, let's do it. We'll let's do, do it. it. Yeah, yeah. We will. Big thank you to this week's guest, Jane Lewis. We are going to leave a link to her podcast and, and other things related to what we've talked about in the show notes description box. If you have a friend who you think would enjoy this, please send it to them. It's a free way, a free of charge way of helping us grow and support the show. If you're on Spotify and you're listening there, please give us a five-star review or a review that you think that we deserve. That'd be really helpful. If you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you're listening, that would also be great if you want to follow the podcast on social media you can it is at the giant pod on twitter and instagram if you want to follow me on twitter and instagram my twitter is big andy w and my instagram is andy underscore tgp 
This podcast was produced by the most self-aware, well-rounded leader and human being I know, Harry Williams. Uh, We will see you next week on The Giant Pod. Thank you very much. Have a good one. Cheers.